the, uh, the, the spirit of family and Jesus in this place is, is uh, special. And I thank the Lord for that. Well, we're going to look at uh, John chapter 17, uh, some of the words of Jesus' prayer for us uh, in just a little bit. You know, one of the things I'm kind of uh, amused about is the, the things that unite people. Um, and and uh, being uh, a Longview resident, and I've lived in Longview more days now as an adult than anywhere else uh, in, my, in, my, in my life. 27 years, not straight, but uh, of, uh, of life in, in the community. And um, I've always been uh, amused at the squirrels and how the squirrels have, for a moment or for a day, uh, united a community. Um, and, and by that, you probably know what I'm talking about. Uh, they have a squirrel fest every summer. And, and I've, I think I might have been to it once. I'm not sure. It, it's, it doesn't attract me, but I'm still amused by the whole thing. What I'm amused by as much as anything is the bridges. Now, uh, because like in 1950-something, some guy named Peters, last name Peters, uh, put up a bridge because he felt bad about the squirrels getting smashed on Washington, oh, on Olympia Way. And that, that original squirrel bridge, you know, across the, uh, near the library w was there. And, uh, and, and then uh, about sometime in the last decade, uh, people decided that, you know, I think squirrels are worth worshiping, you know. I, <laughs> I, think, I think we need to focus all of our attention on, on squirrels. And, and uh I may share too much commentary here on this, but about a decade ago, there was, there was a man who was in an extramarital affair who was shot and killed by a jealous husband. And they didn't have any faith. They didn't have any story. And so they built a bridge. The, first, the, the second squirrel bridge that went up about a decade ago over by the lake Got the guy's name there, memorialized, all about him, because they had no other thing to do but to think of the squirrels and memorialize their friend. And then a year later, some guy from J.H. Kelly, uh, who was a, was a fine, upstanding citizen, and he passed away, and so the company said, you know, we can engineer things. And so they engineered, and they engineered another bridge. And... and uh, they built another bridge, and, and uh, it's, you know, it's over down there by the lake. And, and over time now, I think there are, I don't know, eight, nine, ten, ten squirrel bridges. And that's amusing, you know. And, and, and then these guys got these red and white candy-striped uh, uh, coats, and, and, and they decided that we would celebrate. I don't, you know, I don't know if you guys are, are ambassadors and have those jackets in your, in your closet or not. I kind of like them, but I don't think I'd be caught dead in one. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, any, anyway, you know, our, our community has decided that squirrels are kind of the, the mascot and the most important. I mean, we, long ago, not only do we have the bridge, but we got the big old chainsaw carved one down there by the, the library, all that kind of stuff. Isn't it funny what unites people? Sometimes the same things that unite people will divide people. There's, you know, sports is an example of that. Uh, I, I realize that probably... You know, 3% of the room actually cares about what I'm about to say, but, but uh, there, was this, uh, there's, there was this conference called the Pac-12, um, 
and, and, uh, and there are teams from the different universities, and, and one of them's up in Seattle. They wear purple. Um, and, and, uh, and I have never been a fan of that team up in Washington that wears purple because I'm an Oregon State beaver, right? Which is, uh, has rarely risen to the top. But uh, I got all that stuff. But you know what? That purple team was in the national championship. And that managed to unite me enough to at least hope for them that they would do well. And yet there are some for whom never. Isn't it amazing what unites and what divides us? Well, Jesus knew that we had that problem because we're people. You know, it's, it's a human reality, I suppose. Uh, but he prayed for us specifically that we would experience the kind of unity that he has in the perfect Trinity relationship with the Father. That is amazing. So we're going to look at that in, in just a moment. But before we read the text, let me just bring to mind to you, what does it mean when people pray for you? You know, th this season of prayer that we have, is, it, it has been, it's meaningful because we are lifting up one another and praying for one another, and we feel especially good when people pray for us. Now, not in a selfish way, but it, it, just, it just lifts our heart and warms us to know that other people are praying for you. And, and I, I have two specific memories that were early formative, I suppose, experiences when I realized that people were praying for me. Uh, and one of them was when I left so I, I, went to, I went to Oregon State University. I was a part of a church called Grant Avenue Baptist Church, and it was a, it was a good, supportive experience. It didn't have a huge college group, but uh, I, I was a, a part of that church family. And then I started seminary, and I got to come to Longview, Washington, to be a pastor. And so I was moving away from my college town, and uh, I think they probably had, you know, some kind of, sending in the in the worship service a recognition uh, but the most significant memory I have from that was in the parking lot because I was out in the parking lot and Larry Pope came to me and hovered over me laid his hands on me and prayed the most supportive God-blessing prayer for my future. I have no idea what words he said, but I remember that Larry Pope prayed over me and encouraged me. What a blessing when people pray for us and pray with us. And then in the same church family, there was a guy named George Packard. And George, another layman in the church, um, I learned somewhere along the way uh, that he, and he told me, he said, you're on my prayer list. And uh, so I knew that George, you know, was, was praying for me. He knew, you know, again, my trajectory of ministry and, and, and whatnot, and so he was praying for me. And then uh, I saw him about a decade later, or maybe even longer than that, um, at a funeral, uh, but I saw him and 
I said, you know, I really appreciate the fact that, that you prayed for me. He said, oh, no, you can't get off my list. I still pray for you. And, and I told this story uh, re, uh, a few years back at, at the Northwest Baptist Convention. I had the floor, and I was probably preaching, and, 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 I, and I told the story. But I, I, said, I said that I thought that George was dead. And Don Reeves uh, came up to me, who has, was pastor, you know, at Grand Avenue Baptist Church eventually in, in, in Corvallis. He said, he said, no, George is alive and well. He's still praying for you. <laughs> so I have no idea. He must be in his 90s now, I suppose, I suppose if he's alive. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't followed. But just the fact that I can't get off his list. The, I, I, I'm sorry to say that the, the list that I have that you can't get out, get out of is my Google Contacts list. <laughs> not, my, not, not so much my every, well, I don't know how often he prays for me, but I'm on the list. That means a lot. That means a lot. It's great when other prayer warriors are regularly interceding for you. And so it's even more wonderful to realize that the Lord Jesus is praying for you. He's interceding for us, and his spirit is interceding for us now. And so we're going to see this, uh, well, first in Romans 8 and then in John 17. Romans 8, 26, I didn't give you a heads up on, says in the same way, the spirit also joins to help in our weakness. Because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings and he who searches the hearts knows the spirit's mindset because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God just let that soak in the God of heaven the triune God is interceding for you is interceding for me Well, in John chapter 17, we find the prayer that our Lord Jesus prayed just before Judas betrayed him. And in this prayer, Jesus, he prays for himself, and then he prays for the disciples, and then in verse 20, he prays for us. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, Someday we're going to have to stretch that out, aren't we? If I live long enough, it's going to be 2,100 years ago, right? Uh, anyway, uh, it's, uh, I live in the, well, anyway, forgive me for that digression. Jesus prayed for those who would believe because of others who would tell. So let me read verses 20 and following of, uh, of John chapter 17. The first phrase is, I, I pray not only for these, and that was his disciples who were hearing this prayer. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their message. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be one in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me. May they be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. 
may they be made completely one so that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them and you have loved me. Father, I desire those who have given me, those you have given me to be with me where I am. And then they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. You made your name known to them, and I will make it known. So the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I in them. Is there a more beautiful prayer than the heart and the desire of God, of Jesus the Son, that we would be in this kind of relationship with him? It's, it's bigger and more beautiful than we can possibly grasp. In a very simple way, in Psalm 133, the spirit of this prayer is phrased, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. Well, Jesus prayed this prayer for us that we, the community of faith, that we would be in harmony with one another. That we would demonstrate the same unity that the triune God has. And that we would experience his love. What, again, what a beautiful prayer. But it's not just so that we would feel warm and fuzzy. That we would experience this. That we would understand this. Because Jesus knew that our unity was mission critical. You know, when, when Jesus looked at the face of Peter in that circle of 11 as he's praying with them and for them, he saw behind Peter's face the whole of Pentecost and the thousands more behind him, behind them. When he looked at the face of John, he saw the church of Ephesus and all of the churches of Asia Minor who would come to faith through his preaching and life. And he saw the gap where Judas had stood, Judas Iscariot had been, and he surely thought of the face of Paul and all of the churches of Europe. And crossing generations and oceans right down to this very day, he said, I pray for every one of them who will believe through the word of that original leaven. He prayed for you. He prayed that you would believe, and he prayed that you'd get it. That you would get it, meaning you would understand how deep the Father's love was, and that uh, we too should love one another. And he prayed for unity in that way. He prayed so that the unity of Christians would make such an impact in the world that the world would believe that God sent his son, Jesus. Well, that's working out really good, isn't it? Uh, all, all this unity and, and uh, people loving one another and getting together, you know. Uh, that, Sorry, but uh, it, 
it's a it's a challenge every day uh, to actually experience it and to practice it, and and yet uh, that's why we get to preach and be, remind ourselves of not only the the the, the uh, Lord's Supper and the price that Christ paid, but we we get to remind one another of His Word, uh, and and uh, we look at this text today. So what are we going to learn from this today? Well, Jesus prayed for the unity of the believers. You know, what, what could he have prayed for in his final hours before his arrest? He might have prayed for his own strength. Lord, help me to get through this. He might have prayed that the 11 would support him and not run off, not deny him. that they would not deny his teachings, but instead his prayer was dominated by a single thought, the unity of the disciples. He knew that the church would never make the impact that he wished for it to make upon the world unless spiritually the world saw that the, the church had unity, a oneness. The church's of our world have never taken these words of Jesus with the seriousness they deserve. Notice, first of all, in verse 11, that Jesus prayed for the unity of that original disciple group. That was no easy task in itself, and, and Jesus knew it. In that original group, there were incredible tensions, uh, and tensions that had been alive in, in just the days prior to this prayer. Uh, as, as James and John uh, not long before they had asked for a seat, one at the right and one at the left. That didn't really go all that well with the rest of the guys. Earlier on in the same evening, the disciples were fuming because there had been an argument among them among, about who was the greatest. In this little group, there were all kinds of tensions. There was Matthew, the publican, the, the tax collector, who had, been, who had sold out to Rome. And there was Peter, Simon Peter the Zealot, who had pledged to kill people like Matthew the publican, who had sold out to Rome. No wonder Jesus prayed for the original 11. But that wasn't all. He moved beyond the 11, and he prayed for the generations to come. In verse 21, he prayed for them, and then he prayed for all believers. And, and I think it's worth noting here that Jesus asked God the Father to give them unity as a request. I think that means that unity is not something that you achieve, but rather you receive something that the Father, only the Father can give. We, we are just too uh, broken. Uh, I, I find myself, if, if I were fully transparent, and I'm not going to be, I could tell you ab about a recent conflict I had with another brother that I'm really close to. And yet Jesus, and it didn't go well to start with, <laughs> Jesus knows our nature, and he prays for us. He looked to the Father and said, grant them 
unity. The unity of God's people cannot be fabricated by men. It's got to be generated by the Spirit of God in the hearts of men. It can never be organized by a church, but it must be vitalized by the Spirit of God. And so in John 13, Jesus said, I give you a new commandment. Be unified. No? That, that, was, a, that was one of those preacher tests. I give you a new commandment. Love one another. That's the action that we can do. We, we, don't ha- we can't just be unified because it's a command. No, but we can learn to love one another. And in that experience, we discover and find his unity you see the pattern for unity in believers is unlike anything else on the earth it's nothing less than the unity of the father and the son i can't grasp that and yet that's what jesus will for us is that we would know that same kind of unity not not a, a unity of organization or purpose or feeling or affection but just as the father is in the son and the son is in the father we are to be so related in the church. Christians are drawn to one another because they are drawn to a common center, Jesus Christ. Jesus prayed that they would be in us, and he's speaking to the Father, they would be in us, even as I am in you and you are in me. For that's the source and the power of unity. We would kind of rather Jesus pray for all of our other requests. And it's not like he doesn't care about all of the things that we pray for and that we already mentioned today. He's, he's highly interested and ready to meet us in all of those needs. But at the same time, this is the highest prayer he has for us, that we would love one another and that we would be, find unity in that because then we see that Jesus prayed for the impact of a unified church you see that the impact of a unified church is that the world will believe the world will believe that Jesus the father sent Christ the son that the world may believe that you have sent me he said Uh, only the obvious the visible unity of believers will convince the world of the divinity of Jesus I mean, our song from the 70s, they they will know we're Christians by our love. Oh, that is scripture, so it's not just a 70s thing. (laughs) But because of our love, people will see it. This, by this, John 13, 25, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus prayed for unity, but he uh, teaches us that we find that as we learn to love one another. But we live in a world of such disunity. We, we find disunity everywhere, right? We find it in our homes, our families, our work, uh, in, in local, state, and national government. Uh, so, some believe that if we could just get united in our theology, we would compel the world to believe. Not. United theology was never promised to compel the world to believe. 
Human eloquence will not compel the world to believe. The size of our churches will not compel the world to believe. No denominational program, no slogan, no goal will compel the world to believe that God the Father sent his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Only one single thing will compel the world to believe, and that's a supernatural oneness in the family of God. When the world sees believers loving one another, they'll be compelled. A truly unified community of people is a supernatural fact that, that must have a supernatural cause. The, the world is so disunited that a perfectly united church compels the world to confess that God is at work among us. On the other hand, a disunited church reverses that work. The influence of a disunited church that the world can see turns them away. We live in a world of deconstruction and, uh, and all these uh, catchphrases of, of people who are walking away from the church. The, the, the studies demonstrate that, that we're experiencing a de-churching of America that is exponentially faster than the churching of America in the 50s. People are walking away. And, and, and I can't help but believe it's, it's related to this very central issue of the unity of the church in Christ. And perhaps it's because the church is fighting too much over having you know, theology that we all agree with or having, uh, uh, you know, accepting people in the way that we think we should, everyone should accept them. There's a danger here. Can, we can reverse everything that's to be accomplished, this unity, this oneness, when we don't demonstrate Christ's love for one another. Would you strike down the cross of Calvary? Or roll the stone back that covered up the empty tomb of Jesus? Or would you say that to the Holy Spirit of, of Pentecost, go back to the Father? Of course not. We would, we would never say that. But according to the words of Jesus, if we do not reflect the unity that he desires, we might as well strike down the cross and reverse the work of God. Now, thankfully, we can't do that. We, we don't have that much power, even in our rebellion. But it certainly impacts our neighbors, our household, our community, and our world. Only the unleashed power of Jesus Christ can impact the world in this way. When, we, when, we, when do we take this gift of unity seriously in our own congregation? Just because it's a gift doesn't mean we need to be passive about it. I know I already said you can't manufacture it, you can't fabricate it, but you can do the work of loving one another and caring for one another and finding in that unity. This is not a secondary issue. This is a primary issue. The last thing Jesus prayed about before his arrest was for the unity of his disciples. So it means I need to act now and see this unity develop. Again, 
my actions only come because the, the Spirit of God is, is stirring and pressing and accomplishing His work. We need to do it inside the church and outside the church. Uh, you know, in the church, I must act as a unifying personality. I, I, I need to seek the common ground. I need to seek to be a unifier. The, the blunt truth about my church is that there, are, there may be dozens of opinions at any one time about dozens of things that the church is trying to accomplish. But every believer must make a decision to be a unifier in the midst of God's people. Or they will give the enemy an opportunity to bring division. The need for this kind of unity is not only needed in the church, but it's needed outside the church. You realize there are people every Sunday all over the area that go to their homes or to their restaurants uh, and, and they have these conversations and then they begin to have, you know, roast preacher. <laughs> they begin to, to, uh, to, to, to criticize their church family, their church body. Those things, those are the, are the what things that disappoint. I remember one time I was having what felt like just a frank and honest conversation with a, with a friend, someone I've known since my days in Corvallis. And, but we were in a restaurant, and my friend doesn't have a restaurant voice. And we were just kind of talking about the churches and, you know, and some of it from an outside voice probably sounded pretty critical. Um, and uh, so not after a while, uh, we, were, uh, we were reproved, probably appropriately so, because that conversation without a restaurant voice and a restaurant location didn't need to be had in public, even if it was appropriate conversation. We need to be careful. In the church, we should be one by what you say and what you do. But also, when we're outside the church, our conversation should be glorifying to God. You see, Jesus prays for the glory of a unified church. Jesus prayed that the present church on earth and the future church in heaven would see his glory. Glory is, visible, is the visible manifestation of the divine, all the divine attributes. Uh, it, it's, it's what we see when we look at God. And Christ has already revealed all the glory that we can take, <laughs> all, all that we can comprehend. In verse 22, Jesus said, I have given them my glory that you gave me. We see in the divine manhood of Jesus Christ all the glory that our eyes are capable of taking in. Verse 22 continues to say that the purpose of showing us his glory is what? That we would be one. That they would be one. Even now, when we get our eyes off of, uh, of one another and we turn our eyes to the glory of Jesus Christ, we find unity. When we take our eyes off of Jesus Christ and we look at the flaws that we see in one another, we find disunity. You see, Paul told the church at Corinth, we're, at Corinth, we are being transformed into his likeness with an ever-increasing glory. 
Christ will fully reveal all of his glory in heaven. He said in verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. There's more to come. There, there is much more to come. We will be perfectly one with one another when we are in glory with him. The more we look to him, the more we look at him, the more we will see forever the glory of Christ and the more we'll become one. You see, that glory is the outward visible expression of the love of the Father between the Father and the Son. And so the last part of verse 24 states, The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. We'll spend eternity meditating on the love between the Father and the Son. Why not start now? Our churches will never be fully unified by looking at a pastor or a program or one another. We'll be unified as we look at the Father, at Jesus Christ, and that spiritual trinity relationship. And to the extent that we look away to Jesus Christ, we'll be drawn to one another. And so, even as, I think it was a writer of Hebrews said, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus is still praying for us. My experience with Larry Pope was like 40 years ago. And maybe George has been praying for me all of those 40 years, 45 years. But Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for you to know his love and to express his love one to another and in, in such a way find and demonstrate the unity of the Father, Son, and Spirit. May the Lord bless our hearing and reading of his word today. Would you join me in, in prayer? Well, Holy Father, our wonderful God, we thank you and praise you for the, the uh, word of God, for this prayer of Jesus for us, and for the promise that you continue to intercede for us and to pray. For it's true, Father, we don't know how to pray. We don't know even how to express. And so we're grateful that your spirit intercedes for us. Father, I, I know I am the benefactor in this very moment even. That your spirit is interceding. And so, Father, uh, thank you. Cause us, Father, to be obedient, to be responsive to you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.